just get started, we got to give honor to Pastor Rick and Anna. Amen. Amen. They're goofing off for Jesus. Amen. Every pastor needs a little bit of rest, and so we're hoping they get a lot of that. Uh, here's what I know. When you go to a church and you feel welcomed, and there's a relationship, authentic relationship going on, it's all being led by the pastor. See, the pastor leads that. He models that. And if you've hung out with Pastor Rick and Anna, you know it's easy to be with them. And they, they, they model a, a healthy relationship that all of us should follow, not only with the Lord, but with each other and with this spiritual family. Amen. So when, when, you, when he comes back, you tell him, Pastor Steve said, you're the best pastor south of Napa. Amen. In, in all of California south, you're the best. I know a guy up in Napa north that he's all right, too. But, but Napa South, he's awesome. So I'm so grateful for him. They've been a personal blessing to me, and I know they're a personal blessing to you. All right, so let's get started. Hey, I want to talk to you. I guess you've been in a series about family matters, and I want to talk about relationships. How many of you know relationships are required? Yes. Okay, so you have to do them, right? <laughs> Even if you don't want to. Uh, how many of you are, are extroverts, relationships? You party, you're a party waiting to happen. You want to, you're encouraged, you're... You're energized by people. How many of you introverts? It's like, oh, man, you just want to go to an island by yourself. Amen. Stay there and feed the dolphins. Okay. And swim with the dolphins. And that's all you want. Uh, We're different, right? So relationships can be difficult because uh, they're required. Uh, God designed you and I for relationships. If you're going to have a healthy family, a healthy marriage, uh, a healthy relationship with your teenagers, a healthy relationship in your church. You, you have to know that God has a purpose for relationships. He does. Now, how, how terrible would it be if you believe that God created Adam and Eve to do relationship? Uh, if you remember in Genesis, it says that, that God made all these, these animals and he paired them all up. And he looked at Adam and he said, man, this is not good. He's by himself. There's something missing, something required. Up to that point in Genesis, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Uh Uh-oh, that's not good. He said, we we need to make a helpmate for him. And so he created you and I uh, intentionally to do relationships and to do them well. And how terrible would it be that he went through all of that only for relationships to fail miserably? But if we're not careful, if you think about it in the culture that we live in, when we talk about marriage, this next generation is not so sure that marriage is necessary. It's a little bit scary to get married. It's a little bit, it's like there's a lot of risk involved and why would I do that? And we're moving into a generation that doesn't necessarily think that marriage is probably the best way to go. And sadly, I, I understand and can pre- appreciate the fear, but if you consider this morning that, that as this next generation looks and says, okay, so 50% of marriage relationships don't work out. Now, if I asked you to go catch a flight on Southwest, and you just walk them through the checkout line, they go, hey, man, you got a 50% chance of making it to Texas. But hey, you have a great trip now. You get on that airplane and have a lot of fun. You're going to go, no, I want a plane that's going to do a little better than 50%. So we can't necessarily be angry with the next generation who's saying, hey, so I'm not seeing a whole lot of relationships that are working well. I'm a little fearful. And sadly, and sometimes in, in, in the Christian community, there's a lot of relationships not going well. So that's why we're talking about what we're talking about uh, this morning. 
I also want you to understand that as we get into this, even if you're single this morning, you need to understand that you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is, is the groom and you're the bride. You're the bride. And so we're to approach our relationship with Him. And so I want to talk this morning about the, God's purpose for relationships. So here's what Jesus said. They came to Jesus and they said, so listen, I like what's the most important thing? What are the most important commandments? And Jesus said this. He says, I'm going to sum it all up. I'm going to give you the, the weak cliff version, the shortened version. And here's how it goes. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. All right, so there's the first relationship with him. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all, all of the Ten Commandments fall underneath that. If you do that well, then you're, you're, you're living up to the Ten Commandments. So he sums it all up, but think about it. That's three relationships, right? There's my relationship. I've got to learn to love God well. And if I do that well, I end up loving others well. But then it says to love others as I love myself. So there's, there's a catch there. There's a caveat that says, I gotta, I gotta love me. Have you ever been in a season where you didn't like yourself? Amen. You ever get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, Ooh, man, you got issues. Amen. <laughs> Don't look sanctimonious on me this morning. I know some of you had a bad day like me somewhere, right? And you're just going, you know, I don't even like me. And then you want me to go love somebody else. Sometimes I'm terrible at loving the people I love when I don't like myself, right? So somehow I have to work that out with the Lord. So I've got this relationship going on inside of me. I've got my relationship with the Lord, and then I've got relationships with other people. And God said, the purpose is, is I want you to do all of those well. Jesus said, I want you to do those things well. I've called you to do those things. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about the four foundational laws to relationships. Four foundational laws relationship. Now listen to me this morning. These are laws. They're not principles. They're not like for some people and not other people. These are laws, right? Law of gravity. Everybody knows and appreciates the law of gravity. And how do I know that? Because you don't go jump off a bridge. You appreciate the law of gravity. You know if you jump off a bridge, it's not going to go well with you. The truth is, is that there's foundational laws in God's word. This is if you want a love for a lifetime relationship, then you can have a 100% chance of success. But you got to do it my way. You got to do it my way. And as you, we go through these four foundational laws that are in scripture, I want you to understand that they not only apply, we're going to see them within the context of a marriage relationship, but it also applies in our relationship with the Lord and with our relationship with each other as singles. If you're single here, you should be uh, managing these foundational laws in your relationship with the Lord. So when the Lord sends you somebody, then you are already in practice of doing relationships in a right and in a healthy way. How many of you know relationships can just get weird? Amen. They can get tough. There's these tough moments. I remember every time your wife walks in and goes, does this make me look fat? Ah, you know there's only one answer for that, right? There's only one answer. No, honey, you're so skinny. There's no way do you look fat ever. That's the right answer. Amen. But we get into, there's just these weird moments. It's like you're driving down the road and you don't, you, you know, your wife says or your husband says, go that way. They're backseat drivers, right? And I want to go this way. Well, I want to go that way. And, and, and then all of a sudden there's this tension in the relationship. So we, we know relationships can get difficult. 
But if you adhere and stay within the boundaries of these laws that are mentioned in Scripture, I promise you can get through it. And as, as I move into this, the other thing I, I want you to remember is that, that love is, is work, right? See, we, we have this, uh, in the culture we live in, it's kind of like, if I could just find my soulmate, it would be so great. And what they're saying is this, if I find my soulmate, this will be easy. There'll be no work involved. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's no work involved? <laughs> no, there's work involved. And here's the problem is that, that they think that there's no work and that just love is in the air. I can feel it all around. Ooh, we just sing. We run through the prairies. All oh, life's good. And, and, and truth is, is I experience the feelings of love. And, and the depth of that experience is felt by the sacrifice of the expression made on the other side of the relationship. Yes. I mean, if, if, love, if, if relationship was easy, right? You know, if I, if I go down to 7-Eleven and I get a Valentine's card, and there's only three left, and I get one that's like for my aunt, I cross out my aunt and I put my wife's name in there. How I many of you know that won't go well? I mean, I give it to her and say, how do you get your Valentine's card? And she's going, oh, it says aunt, you crossed it out. You probably bought it like five minutes ago, you know, when Safeway was closed. And the whole expression of love just kind of doesn't give much credit. But, you know, if I sit down as bad as an artist as I am and I make a card and she knows I ain't good at, you know, saying I love you and love is blue and I don't rhyme well. Amen. And I know it. And I write all this stuff down and then I put down at the bottom. I promise to spend 20 hours building that project you've been asking me to build for a long time. Now, if I hand that card to her, what happens? She experiences the feelings of love because the amount of sacrifice in the gift is so high. Yes. Now, we, we want to think that there's no, there's no hard work involved, but there is. There's hard work involved. And so let's, let's go through this. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And within this one verse, you've you got to set the setting here. You've got Adam and Eve. They're running around in their birthday suit, right? And they're in the Garden of Eden. They're walking around with God, and they've got this amazing relationship going on with God. They've got an amazing relationship with each other. They're hanging out, and, and then God says, listen, I need to talk to you because you're going to have some kids. And you're going to have to give them the instructions on how to work this out with a, a marriage relationship. Because remember, as we look at this verse, Adam and Eve doesn't have a mom and dad. Amen? Are you with me? So as you read this verse, this verse is telling these parents, here's what it's going to look like going forward. How many of you know it would be real difficult to have your kids get married and live inside your house, and then you still call all the shots for their marriage? How many think that would work? Amen? <laughs> it barely works when they're teenagers and they're single, right? And they're still living at home, right? So, so God says this verse right here. Look, look what he says. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. So... So Adam didn't have to leave his father and mother, but he's saying, so listen, your kids are going to have to separate from you. There'll be a reprioritizing, a reprioritizing of your life and your relationships. And here's what it should like. They, they will leave the father and mother. They will be joined to his wife. In this case, he will be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and the wife shall be naked, uh, both naked, and we're not ashamed. 
So, so listen, here's what this verse says. Principle number one, law number one, not principle, law number one is the law of priority. When you get married, in this verse it says that there's going to be a reprioritizing and your spouse has to be number one. There has to be a sense that uh, she's number one, that he's number one. To everybody around you, it should look like, boy, that husband, he sure puts her first. If I were to say that in this church, we would all think of, of Brother Ed. We love him with all of our heart. We miss him so dearly. Well, we all know, man, when he's around Betty, man, we're all second place. Amen. <laughs> we're second place. And I love it about him. She's number one. It's crystal clear. Now, here, here's what happened. Uh, priority number one, in this verse, it says you leave your father and mother and you go get married. And now that you're married, you got to be careful because, you know, what happens is when there's a fight, guess what? Someone wants to go home to mama. Well, I'm just going to go home. You can't treat me like that. I'm going to go home. I'm going to spend the night at my dad's house. And we're just going to, you know, they love me and, and you're, they're out. Man, I, I got married. My mom looked at me and she said, son, you know, I love you, right? I go, yeah. He goes, you get in a fight with your wife. Don't you come to my house. I'll lock the door. You ain't coming in. I said, what? I'm your favorite son. What, what are you talking about? She goes, you, you're going to go home. You're going to reprioritize. She's your number one priority. You don't get to run away. You get back to that house. You ask her to forgive you and you work it out. Amen. She's number one. You know, sometimes when I do marriage counseling, I find myself in this situation where somehow one of the kids is, is still got mom and dad as number one. And then they've got, you know, they got their new spouse as number two. That will never work. It, it will not work. Amen. So here's what we know, man. When they're a priority, it's like if you've got a really good friend and you ain't seen him for a month and you're single, you're just going like, well, dude, where you been? I haven't seen you for a month. You know what happened? They got a girlfriend, right? That's what happens. She got a boyfriend. I, you know why? Because they ditched you. I mean, you were really good friends, but she's number one now. She's prettier than you. and You're ugly. And you know, you're just a guy. And all of a sudden, the, the, it's already started. When we're dating, here's what I know. When we're dating, we do these things, don't we? We do these things. Oh, honey, come on, get over here. Let me get the door for you. Open up the door. Get it in there. Oh, no, wait a minute. Let me do your seatbelt for you. You good, girl. You know, so I shut the door. I go over. I start driving. You know, am I driving too fast? You know, are you okay? You know, and then she says, you know, I don't think you should go that way. And you go, you know, okay, which way should I go? And you're, you're all good. And what you're doing is you're saying, you're number one to me. You're a priority, whatever you want, right? You get married. Fast forward couple of years it's like you know you didn't even shut your door shut the door get your seatbelt on i'm ready to go <laughs> then she starts or he starts giving you this backseat driver they go what are you telling me about drop and going there for years i don't need you telling me what to do see we we know how it rolls right and what we've done and we haven't been paying attention is all of a sudden we haven't made him or her a priority anymore all of a sudden, the dating's gone, and we've got this prized spouse, and all of a sudden, we think we don't have to work hard anymore. And that's not the truth. It's, uh, it's called the, the manna principle. Have you ever heard the manna principle? <laughs> the manna principle is like this. All the children of God, they're in the desert. They're hanging out for 40 years. Every day they get up, and there's this, this homemade bread from heaven laying on the ground. You gather it all up, and you eat it for the day, and you can't save it, right? If you try to get two days' worth, you go in your tent. 
overnight it will mold. It'll have maggots. You can't do that, right? God said the only day you can do that is Friday because of the Sabbath. But you, you here, here's the deal, the manna principle. You, every day you get up, every day you get up, you have to... You have to pursue the Lord. He makes you number one and he gives you a new gift. I'll tell you why that principle is important. Uh, guys do this worse than, than ladies do, but we work on a points principle. We, we think we earn points. Have you ever thought that? If you're a man in the house, you know that. And women, you've seen them try to use this and it don't work. But here it is. The, the, the principle is this. Like, girl, I just took you out to Hawaii, man. We just had a vacation, right? So, you know, I spent like four grand and, you know, we went there. I bought you this. So, like, I got like 30 points in the relationship bag, right? So, like, for the next 30 or 40 days, you know, I'm good, right? I don't have to do much, right? Shouldn't it, like, come my way because we go on my vacation? And we run these point games going on inside of us. Listen, points don't work in marriage. It's the man of principle. All points die at midnight. Amen. I'm telling you, they're gone. The next day you wake up and you say, honey, how are you doing? You know, and she goes, you know, you need to go out there and do some work. You need to get that chores done. You haven't, I just took you on vacation. I got points. She goes, no, there's no more points. Let's go. Here's the point of the principle of priority. Every day you have to put them first. Every day I have to pursue them. And that's principle number two. Look at principle number two. It says, and, and, uh, uh, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and, and be joined to his wife. If you look that word up and do a word study, that word join or cleave to, it, ha- it, it gives this picture of holding on to, pursuing, making sure that everything stays okay in the relationship. That part, that, that law number two is the law of pursuit. So you have the law of priority, making your number one. The law number two is pursuit. You always need to be pursuing the relationship that's the number one priority to you. It means it's hard work. And, and here's what you know and I know is that uh, relationships are brutal and selfish people. They, it doesn't work, does it? It, it doesn't work. Sharing. I mean, this is simple, right? Marriage is about sharing and not just areas of our life, all of the areas of life. So here's the deal. If I'm getting up every morning and I'm saying, honey, I've got all these decisions to make. And I know that the law of priority says that you're number one. So before I make any of these decisions on my calendar, I need to talk to you. What do you think I should do? Uh, here's how I'm going to manage my day. I'm considering this, this, and this. What do you think we should do? This is our life. We're sharing it together and your priority to me. So I want you to speak into this so we can move forward. And then, and then the second law that we've just pointed out is the law that I will join her. I will hold fast to her. It's the law of pursuit. I will cleave and hold on and continue to work at this relationship. Every day I get up, I know I have to work at the relationship. I don't get to say I did really well last year, last week and I got some points and I could just kick back. There's always this daily need for you and I to pursue relationships. Yes. So, so God says I should see energy. You know, like I pointed out with the, the card that I, I gave my wife, you know, if I get it from 7-Eleven, she knows there's not a lot of energy in that card. If I hand make one, she knows there's a lot of energy in it. Yeah. And the feelings of love 
come back when there's a sacrificial gift of love. You know, when we sang that song, that song said, your love is a firm foundation. What it is, is that your, your blessings and your glory and your joy is, is daily coming to me. The Lord, the Lord says, I will be with you every day. You, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He pursues you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He pursues you. He made you a top priority. His son died for you on a cross. You're number one in his life. Wow. See, he sets the example, doesn't he? Yes. Jesus turns around and says, I love them just like you love me, Father. And I'm going to go to the cross because I care about them. I'm going to make a tremendous sacrifice. So there'll be this overwhelming feeling of love if they will receive the love that I've, I've put out there for them. The expression of love. And so, so we have to do the same thing. This should be true of our kids. Our kids should realize that they're a priority to our life, in our life. Our kids should never feel like the job becomes before me, right? If your job is more important than your kids, then there's a problem, isn't there? And I understand there's only so many, you know, sometimes you have to work and you can't be at everything. But there should be language and behavioral patterns in your life that express to your teenagers, to your kids, that you're a priority to me. Now, having said that, I'm talking about something that's a little difficult. Here's what I also know. In blended families, which can be really, really difficult, but this is a principle I absolutely believe in. When, when a step-parent comes into the family, that step-parent uh, can't be number two to the kids. They, they can't. It, it won't work. So it goes something like this. I, I, I know of a couple I counseled, and she kept saying, listen, I love you, but you got 80% of me, but the, the, you know, here's what I know. that this My kids are my kids, and they're not your kids. Now, I understand what, what she's, she's saying, but here's what cannot happen. If you've had one bad marriage and you're to show this next generation what a good marriage looks like, then you have to do it God's way. Amen. Now, I'm all for, uh, you know, the biological parents should be the one to speak and discipline and get, do all that. I get all that. But at the same time, there needs to be a moment that says, kids, I love you. I'm going to try to do this marriage God's way. And that means this stepfather to you is my number one relationship and if it goes well it'll automatically go well with you but it won't go well with you if this messes up you remember the last time this happened now i know that's difficult but there has to be somewhere where the step uh, parent is on the same plane with the biological parent and they have to come together and they have to parent together it's a one thing it's not a two thing you know when we when we look at this we realize that you, you know, you just can't, you can't go to the altar and say, you know, so listen, um, you know, do you love her? Will you take her to be your lovely wedded wife? And, you know, and, and he says, yeah, I'm in it 80%. Why <laughs> 80%? She's looking at him like, you better be in 100%. I'm out. Right? Now, now, we agree that you can't do that and you shouldn't do that at wedding. There's a problem. But yet we have relationships that will get together thinking that I'm only going to let you know so much of me. And, that, and that's all you get. That's all you get. And it, it's a it's a it's a violation of these laws and principles in God's word. And it will bring destruction in a relationship. Yeah. You know, if, I, if I'm trying to figure out as a single person, I'm saying, God, listen, I'm going to put you first. You're number one priority. You're my number one relationship. Jesus, you're you're the groom and I'm the bride. 
I'm all focused. I'm pursuing you. I'm in church. I'm looking for my gifts. I'm, I'm trying to chase after what you call me to be. And as you're running after him in that relationship, you're already in a position to run after and live with a, another man of God or a lady of God who should be running the same way you are. And you've already learned relationally what it looks like to go into a long-term eternal relationship, a love for a lifetime relationship. Right? And so, so we, we got to do that. We, we, we've got to just remember a priority. We have to remember that, uh, that when there's energy involved, any relationship's going to do well. There's got to be uh, the law of pursuit. Law number three, which is in this verse, is what's called the law of possession. It's called shared ownership of everything. And that's where it says, and they shall become one flesh. You know, this one means we need to do life together. Everything that you have is mine, and everything that's mine is mine. Oh, wait a minute, I got that wrong. (laughs) I've heard that one before. What's yours is mine, what's mine is mine. No, everything comes together, and it's all ours. It's all ours, amen? See, here's what happens. In a relationship, when I come to you and I say, listen, everything that's, that's mine is yours except this one item. When you say that, what you're saying is, I don't trust you with this item. I don't trust you with this area of my life. If you're unwilling to do that, you you probably just shouldn't get married. You're marrying the wrong person if you don't think, and I've heard him say, well, I don't trust him with my my kids. He would be a stepfather, and I don't think he's the right guy. Then don't marry him. He's not the right guy. But if, if you want a marriage that has a 100% chance and you live within the boundaries of this law, this law says that all of our stuff is ours. Anything that you keep, that this is mine and not yours, you're saying, I'm unwilling to share this with you. Now, it goes beyond possessions. It goes beyond children. It, it goes on with ideas. Have you ever seen a relationship where somebody's very domineering? We're just going to do it my way. And I'm going to browbeat you. I'm going to talk louder than you. And I'm going to push you around until you do it my way. You know what that is? That's selfishness. Amen. It simply means that, that we're going to do it my way. And, and it isn't this, this future, this life we're doing together isn't us. It's me. And you just come along for the ride. And when a relationship gets into that position and somebody's dominating somebody, it doesn't work. Or, or the opposite is not domination, but it's, it's when somebody's just always throwing a, a temper tantrum. And we're just constantly moving around their emotions and everybody's ducking and hiding because they had a bad day and then they're controlling the room. Now, when I say all this, oh, what you're, you're getting is, man, relationships are a lot of hard work. <laughs> but you know what? Your hard work done God's way will be received as the feelings of love to the recipient on the other side. It's amazing what it looks like for somebody to say, honey, listen, I know I am asking you to forgive me. All these years I'm driving across town and uh, I've always said I know the fastest way and I've never let you tell me where to go. And from this day forward, wherever you want me to go, I'll go your way. If it takes a half hour longer, I'm going to go your way. And she's just looking at me like, well, you're no fun to fight with anymore, right? And and then you just say, let's go. Where would you like to go? And in that moment, she's probably going to say, well, just go whatever way you want. Because see, at that moment, she's going, 
He really loves me. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to do life together. He, he's, he's for us, not just for Him or, or vice versa. So the, the law of, of ownership, the shared ownership of everything, is a law that you and I have to live by. There's a verse in the Bible that is, is a difficult verse if you read it, but it says this. You, the Bible says that you're to give authority over your body to your husband. and she, As a wife, you're supposed to give authority of your body over, you know, vice versa. And that, that's a tough verse, right? You read that verse, you go, what? And in that moment, uh, now you're supposed to give authority of your body over to him for use, not for abuse, right? That's not what we're talking about. But at the same time, it is showing the depth of oneness and sharing life that's required. And you know what? It's really easy to do that verse if both of you are sharing life together. Your time, your talents, your treasures. We say, this is ours. What shall we do with it? How will we manage the future with all of these things? So we, we recognize that God has called you to interrelational dependence and not independence, right? Uh, some of you just naturally, your, your, your temperament type is to uh, be a little independent, especially if, if you're an introvert. You just want to go hiking in the woods and you'll come back in a couple of days and you're all happy. Uh, you, you got to spend life in the woods. But, but the truth is God calls you to relationships because there's a, there's a fruit that comes out of relationships that can only be achieved in relationship. You can never experience agape love unless you're in a relationship. That is unmerited favor, undeserving forgiveness, expressions of love when you don't deserve it. That only comes if you're in a relationship. See, I don't ever get to experience that unless I'm in an authentic, healthy relationship by God. And it looks like the one that God's describing in these verses. So let's go to the last one, and that's law number four, the law of purity. Now, this is an amazing verse. When we look at this particular verse and we try to pull out the law that that God is describing here, it says this. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, get the picture, right? Uh, they're running around in their birthday suit. They're, they're in the, the garden. They're walking and they're talking with the Lord. And there's an innocence that, that's unbelievable, right? There has to be to be in this environment. So they're running around their birthday suits. They're talking to God. God's talking to them. They're good. Everything's great. And then Eve walks up and gets deceived. And she eats the apple and she commits a sin. The minute that she does that, she decides, well, I'm going to drag Adam in with me. Adam decides he has a choice between God or this good-looking girl that that God gave him. And she said, will you eat the fruit? And he goes, all right, you did it, I'll do it. So he eats the fruit. God comes running around the garden, and all of a sudden, now that the innocence is gone, now that there's no more purity in the relationship, there's problems in the relationship. There's this... uh, this sin issue in the relationship, what happens? They start hiding, and secondly, they begin to cover themselves up with fig leaves. For the first time, what happens in this passage is immediately the innocence is gone, and there's a problem in the relationship. And in that moment, they begin to cover up, obviously, their private parts. 
the most sensitive areas of their life and where they're completely different. They said, I'm going to shut off from you, Adam. Adam looks at Eve and says, well, I'm shutting off from you. I don't, I don't want you to know all of me anymore. I'm going to decide to, to hold on to something. God comes walking through the garden and they all start hiding. And he goes, no, what are you guys hiding from me for? And he's looking around and he's seeking after them. I want you to see that picture. And he looks at Adam and he goes, so what'd you do? And his first answer is not, hey man, I'm sorry. I know you told me not to eat the fruit. His first excuse is, you know that wife you gave me? She messed up everything. It's my spouse's fault. It's the, it's been, been the excuse for the history of time. He goes to Eve. Eve, what happened? I told you guys not to eat the fruit. You know what? What happened? She says, what? The devil made me do it. <laughs> what, what if, what if they had turned and repented? Have you ever thought about that? God would have said, I forgive you. Let's get back to that wonderful relationship we had before all this happened. Yes. Instead, it became the blame game, right? Eve says, uh, so listen, you know, the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. Adam says, well, it's my spouse's fault. Relationships don't go well when it's like that, does it? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That fell apart in that moment. It fell apart between Adam and Eve to God the Father. And then it fell apart between them, between Adam and Eve. It began to fall apart. And, and, and when that fell apart, all of a sudden there's this running, this hiding. And now I, I don't, I don't want to be transparent with you. I'm going to wear fig leaves from here on out. And what that really means is I, I'm going to hide myself from you. I, I remember the Lord taught me this principle a long time ago. I have an amazing wife. Uh, uh, her and Anna, they're, they're like special. I, I don't, the Lord just supernaturally blessed uh, me and Pastor Rick with amazing wives. But I remember I was dating her and I, I was in Bible college and I was preaching and I was studying about relationships. And all of a sudden I, really, I realized I really liked her. And I thought, oh man, this, this is probably the one. I better, I better figure this out. I better shape up. I, I got on my knees and said, so how do I keep from messing this up? Right? <laughs> That's what we do. And I, I remember the Lord saying, so listen, uh, there needs to be an innocence in your relationship. I said, well, what, is, what are you talking about? He goes, so listen, I, I want you to sit down with her and I want you to share your entire life story up to this point. Oh, yeah, that, I don't think that's a good idea, Lord. So, like, like I'm wanting her to stick around, right? I, I don't think, I don't know if that's a good idea. Lord says, listen, you know how we have these dumb conversations with the Lord? He goes, you're, you're telling me I've got a dumb idea. Yeah, you're right. Okay, wait a minute. It's not a dumb idea. I just don't know how I feel about that. He goes, well, you don't have to feel about it. You just need to do what I ask you to do. I go, okay, all right, so... So we go on this date, you know, and I realize the, the, as we're getting closer and closer that, that I can't ask her to marry me unless I, I do this. And being the great spiritual leader that I am, um, I choked miserably and didn't do nothing. <laughs> I'm sitting there. The Lord's dealing with me. Okay, so here's it. You know, the date's gone great. 
Let's sit down and do this. And I'm going, yeah, I still, I don't, that time's not right. There needs to be more candles. <laughs> I just, it don't feel right, you know. And, uh, and here's why my wife's so great. Uh, my wife says, you know, uh, I really care about you. And uh, I really think it's important that I share my life with you. There needs to be a transparency. If you will, I'm going to take the fig leaves off of my life. And I'm going to check and find out if you're a safe place to share all of my feelings and my faults, the good, the bad, the ugly. And when she did that, I thought, you goober. I should be the spiritual leader in this relationship. The Lord told me to do it. I chickened out the whole time. And Lisa has more grace and humility than I do. And so uh, she led the way. And all I could think was, I should be doing this. And I thought to myself, but isn't it nice to know that when I'm weak, my spouse carries me. I mean, so here, 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 here's the, the double-edged sword. If she shares or if I share all of who I am, this is it. She could ditch me. She'd go, dude, I didn't know you had all those issues. You're not nearly as strong and secure as I thought you were. I'm out, right? That's the, that's the fear. That's what's keeping me from doing this. As she's sharing all this stuff, she did not, it did not run me off. There was nothing fearful. When it was over with, I thought, I am so lucky to be with you. I'm married up. I just married up. And she got done. And of course, you know, now this is what happens. You know, God will always, she wasn't my wife then, but when God starts talking to you, he will always send his wife to confirm you're wrong. You need to do what your wife and what he's telling you to do, right? So then the Lord says, so like, are you going to do it now? Really? And uh, the Lord had to teach me, obviously. And I said, you know, I told her, I said, I was so afraid to do this. I should have led this. And uh, I, I need you to forgive me. But I said, you just shared. If you will, take it off all your fig leaves. And if you said, this is who I am. If you're going to marry me, this is, this is it. And uh, I said, sweetheart, uh, I'm, I'll be the luckiest man alive to, to be able to live with you. Amen. And then I begin to share my story. Now, that isn't a moment where you're sharing all these details of terrible passing. Some of you are thinking, oh, man, you know, oh, you know my history. I'll run off every potential person in the future. Here's the problem. If you marry somebody and you believe them to only know 60% of who you are, then you will never completely feel loved in the relationship moving forward. Because they only love what they know about me. Would they still love me if they knew the parts they don't know? And that will haunt you. That will torture you all the days of your life. Matter of fact, you'll be in a, a relationship where you will never ever feel love. You'll be blaming them because they're not acting right. But the truth is, is you haven't revealed everything to them. And, and the, the law of purity says... That innocence will enter into the relationship when we say, listen, here's the big picture of my life. This is what happened to me spiritually and physically, emotionally over all the years. And uh, if you still love me after all that, you'll never be surprised with anything in the future.
And here's the thing that happens, that you won't even know it until you do it. The security in the relationship is a foundation that you can stand on forever. You see, now that she said, I've heard all that you got and there's no surprises, I love you anyways, you know how secure that made me feel? At that moment, I thought, man, this is going to be easy to love you. might be hard for you to love me, but it's going to be easy for me to love you. And that's a love for a lifetime relationship. But these aren't things that you get to dodge. If you look at any relationship that's successful, I promise you, they'll, you'll see us both spouses going, they're my number one priority. I pursue them all the days of my life. I'm continuing to make sure they know I love them. I'm going to open the door as much as I can, as often as I can. All that I have is hers and all that she has is mine and we share it together. Amen. And the last part is, anytime a secret starts to creep up inside of my heart, I'm not going to hold it there. See, if you're single here, you know this. You think you're keeping the secret from God, right? Because you, you're saying, well, I'm not married. I don't know about the secrets. No, we think we have these secrets from God. You ever said, you know, one of these days I got to talk to God about that. <laughs> like he doesn't know, right? <laughs> right. So, but here's what happens. It's a secret in your heart. Man, I'm not doing the single life very well. And I, I feel guilty. And the sense of innocence and purity is gone. And you go to the altar and you ask God to forgive you and the innocence comes back. You see, even in your relationship with God, if you're single, you're going to go to him and say, Hey, I know you know everything about me, but I need to vocally pray to you and tell you out loud. I did something dumb. Would you forgive me? And he has the amazing opportunity to go, Yes, I do. (laughs) And then in that moment you go, This is a secure relationship. I love him and his love towards me is a foundation that I can count on for eternity. Amen. Amen. Listen, every pastor wants relationships to go well. Whether it be, uh, you have to ask yourself as a parent, as I close, are you a safe place for your kids to come talk to you? Can your kids talk to God and talk to you the same way? Or can they talk to God one way and you a different way because you can't handle it? Your fear or your whatever fires up and your kids can't talk to you about real life situations. I would challenge you, God is saying you you need to be quiet and listen. You have to be a safe place for them to take the fig leaves off and say, Mom, here's what's really going on. Dad, here's what's really going on. And when after their experience, they should be able to say, I can talk to my mom and dad about anything. Right? That'll challenge you as a parent, won't it? Hey, man, would you close your eyes just for a moment? Lord, I pray a blessing over this church, over these people. I know that this house is a a strong spiritual family. I know there's great relationships already in this church, and that's not why we're speaking this message. But I know you want it to be better. I know you have an amazing marriage future, family future for this church and this spiritual family. And we're just trying to make sure we, we put the energy into it to do it your way, God's way. And the families will be blessed. I pray that in Jesus' name. And I, I pray over this church a blessing financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I pray blessings on every member here this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you give supernatural rest and strength to Pastor Rick and Anna. In Jesus' name, amen.